0: So today we're going to talk about an obedient heart and the wisdom of Solomon. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 3 verses 1 through 9. Here's what that says. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. And Solomon brought her to live in the city of David until he finished building his palace, the Lord's temple, and the wall surrounding Jerusalem. However, the people were sacrificing on the high places because until that time, a temple for the Lord's name had not been built. Solomon loved the Lord by walking in the statutes of his father David, but he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there because it was the most famous high place. He offered 1,000 burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. God said, ask, what should I give you? Wow. And Solomon replied, you have shown great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, Because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and integrity. You've continued this great and faithful love for him by giving him a son to sit on his throne as it is today. Lord, my God, you have now made your servant king in my father David's place. Yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people you have chosen, a people too numerous to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an obedient heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. Let's pray over the word. Father, thank you for your promises. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for how you lead us and you guide us. You speak to us. I I just always have been reminded to thank you that you didn't gloss over the imperfections of people. In your word. People that you called your friends. People that you called uh, those who were after your own heart. And even though Solomon describes his father, David, and says that he walked before you faithfully and in righteousness and all this, we know his story as well. and And he had major failures. God, I thank you that you don't set people up before us to this unattainable vision of following you that is perfect, and and we never stumble, and we never struggle, but I thank you that what you do show us is your faithfulness, your undying love for us, your commitment to us even when we are not faithful, and so Father, I pray that you will help us, help us to see in your word today, out of this passage, what you want to do in our hearts, and how you want to impact us, and that we walk out of here different. Because, God, it doesn't matter if we have a moment of an experience in here if it does not change us when we're out there. God, we can, we can enjoy the worship and we can have all of these thoughts in us, but if we're not a different person walking out in that world to reflect you better than we did when we walked in, something needs to change. So, Father, I pray that you will impact us today with your word. Holy Spirit. Bring the Word alive into our individual circumstances because no pastor, no minister, no person can do that. But you can. And so we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor, God, for you alone are worthy. We pray and believe this in the name of your Son and our strong Savior, Jesus Christ. And the church said, Amen. Amen. So when we start talking about Solomon, one of the the more interesting things, if you study out about him a little bit is actually how old was he when he was actually made king and there's not a definitive answer Um, some scholars um, say and even some rabbis in particular say that he was between 12 and 14 years old some other scholars say he was closer to 18 to 20 there's a few out there that say maybe he was around 30 but nobody really knows for sure they can't narrow it down Uh, you can read some really good arguments for some different things out there Uh, including uh, folks that kind of do some work on figuring out how old his son was and uh, apparently when he would have been born and some of this kind of stuff. So at the end of the day, there's not a whole lot of of issues with trying to figure out how old he was. But what we do see is that Solomon speaks to God in the passage and he says, I'm but a youth. Now, the Hebrew word that is used for youth is na'ar, and it means a boy, youth, lad, okay, that sounds like he's really young, <laughs> or young man. All right, so that just helped confuse it and make it, you know, really muddy water. So Now, we could look and say, look, we see how the Jewish culture tends to uh, consider a boy to become a man at the age of 13. Uh, you might be aware of the idea of a bar mitzvah. you probably never been to one, most likely. You could have been. I don't know if you have. That'd be probably pretty interesting, but... Um, I've never been to one myself, but that is the idea of when he turns 13, then he becomes accountable for his actions. By the way, uh, the Jewish people have probably had this concept right for a long time. They figure that a girl becomes accountable for hers at 12 because girls mature faster than guys do. All the ladies went, uh huh, uh huh. Yeah, see, God knew. <laughs> it it based on that it would probably seem unlikely that Solomon was near thirty um, and then was referring to himself as a youth because you don't you don't see a lot of these these folks uh living to these extravagant ages necessarily by this point in time, so him being thirty and saying he's a youth that's probably not fitting, although he could be referring to his youthfulness when it came to leadership, but he does just give two distinct statements in where he says that that I'm but a youth and I don't have any experience as a leader. So that probably doesn't fit either, because if he'd have just been wanting that to be referring to his leadership, he probably would have just left it as one statement instead of giving both distinct statements. So, you know, he could have been anywhere from in the age, you know, that 12 to 14, or he could have been closer to 20. We don't know. What, uh, what not, does seem to not make a whole lot of sense is uh, even though these guys got married a lot younger... You know, they got married sometimes in that fifteen, fourteen, sixteen, you know, range. Yeah, you see Chris's eyes and he's like, What? <laughs> um Yeah, yeah, you know. It was kind of more like early early America, right? I think my grandmother was like fifteen when uh when they got married. Uh, my my daughter's doing a motion. Yeah, there you okay, there you go. So um uh, well anyway, yeah, we should move on from that. Um Look, folks got married a lot younger back... There's a lot of discussion about whether folks were a lot more mature at some of those early ages back then too, but just because of life in general and all that kind of stuff. But but even at that, the odds that, that he is 12 and he's marrying Pharaoh's daughter, eh, probably not so much. Uh, that's probably not really the case, but um, that would be a little odd. Regardless... He's a reasonably young man, and he's now king over an entire nation. And so God appears to Solomon in a dream. Solomon has been following after his father's footsteps. He's worshiping God. They haven't provided a temple for God. Because if you remember, David uh, was was not allowed by God to build the temple. Because God looked at him and said, hey, I know you would like to do this, but you have been a man of war and you have blood on your hands. Um, you know you, you got to go all the way back to Uriah when he had Bathsheba's husband killed so that he could you know hide his relationship with her and so God says I can't let you build my temple because you you don't fit the 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 criteria but I will allow your son to do it all right so Solomon's going to build build the temple but they don't have a place then for God to be worshiped the way they should so they're using really the high places and things that would have been to uh, some other worship of other gods. They're using that to be able to to worship God because they don't have anywhere else at the moment to do that. But Solomon's following after God. he He is making sacrifice because that was their whole process. And so he's there in Gibeon and he's doing this and then apparently he goes to sleep and God shows up in a dream and God gives him this powerful, powerful statement. And he says, tell me what you want me to give to you. Now, the interesting thing to me is, no matter exactly how young Solomon was, is he displays an already pretty immense amount of wisdom. He could have asked for a lot of stuff. And in fact, when God responds to him, we didn't read past verse 9, but a little bit past that, God actually tells him, because you didn't ask for the things that probably would have made sense for someone of your age and experience to ask for, I'm going to give you those things anyway. That's a pretty neat process. You know, God basically says, you didn't ask for money and you didn't ask for all this stuff, uh, but because you didn't, and that wasn't where your heart was, then I'm going to bless you in in those things. Solomon instead tells God that he wants something that is far more powerful than any of that. And that's where I want us to take a few moments to dissect what Solomon asked of God. And more importantly then, yeah, we're going to understand some historical stuff about what Solomon Ask God for, and we're going to kind of understand how that story broke down. But then we got to figure out how does that apply to our lives today, right? Because first mistake that we typically make in reading stuff in Scripture is we learn it historically. We don't learn it from an application standpoint. We don't figure out well, what does that mean for me. That's cool, you know. He asked God for, you know, this this you know wisdom and stuff. What does that mean? And and how does how does that apply to anything I'm doing? So. First thing that we see that Solomon did was Solomon recognized his own limitations. He saw two things about himself, and this is what he identified. And, and you hang with me because this is not a message about uh, being young, uh, because sometimes being young is not just an age thing, but you, know, you you could come to Christ at the age of 50, and you're young in your relationship with God. You may decide at some point in your life that you're going to step into a different type of role in your job, and so you're young in that responsibility. So keep that in mind as we're talking through this. Solomon recognized two things about himself. First one was he said, I'm young, and the second one he says, I have no experience in leadership. What you need to recognize, notice he doesn't say, I'm not intelligent. He doesn't doesn't look and say, God, I am a moron, and they've made me king. You know, I was the one that my dad was thinking he'll never amount to anything, but I was the one that he wanted to make king anyway. That's not what he's, he doesn't, that's not the path he's going down. Sometimes I think we believe that in order for us to recognize something like Solomon did, that we have to somehow say that, well, maybe I'm not smart, or maybe I don't have certain abilities or whatever. That's not what Solomon does. The second thing that Solomon does not say is he doesn't say that he's not educated. He doesn't say, you know, God, I'm young and I don't know anything because nobody's ever taught me anything. He doesn't say that either. Uh, In fact, as a son of a king, he probably most likely had the best education that was available at, at the time because he was going to get all of those benefits. He doesn't say that he doesn't have the ability to learn, the ability to grow, or even to figure some things out. He doesn't say, you know, God, I'm doing this king thing. You know, I'm rocking that out. It was the best I had for y'all today. You know, hey, I was, I was 12, 13, 16, doesn't matter. You know, I'm this young guy, and who the king? I'm the king. You know, he doesn't, that was the best, best I had. And Johnny was the only one who was like, Lord, I can't believe he did that. All the rest of y'all was like, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. He's not, he, he's not even hung up on that stuff. I can't imagine. If I was anywhere from 12 to about 19, and all of a sudden I became king of America, God, help us all. <laughs> you know? Think about it. And God shows up and asks you, hey, what do you want from me? I want a ham sandwich in a hot tub. Y'all know the commercial, right? <laughs> you know? Can't do the part about a girl from six A. You know, I, I just the stuff that we would be asking for if when we were think about it. Think back when you were, or maybe you're there right now, but think back to when you were about twelve to eighteen. The kind of stuff you'd have been asking for. Think about your kids, because some of y'all got some kids that's in that twelve to eighteen range. I mean, man, there would be Legos everywhere. Everybody would have a PlayStation Four, right? That's not what what Solomon says. But he does recognize his own limitations. And and he he was smart enough to recognize that his age probably influenced some of his responses and thoughts. Now again, I don't want you to get hung up on this being age like number of years that you've been on the earth. Think about when you first stepped into any uh, role of responsibility or whether that was in your family or whether that was in your job or whatever. Man, there was some stuff that you just had reactions to things because you were so new in it that it was not good. I've seen a lot of young leaders over the years that have, have worked for me, and man, when they first step into that role and that person is not showing up for work and they're going to have to address it. They're mad. They're like mad. How many of you remember back when you first started, uh, well, let's just say you were younger than you are now. Let's just. <laughs> do you remember how quick you were to form opinions and react to things? You know, you wouldn't even have all the facts. You'd just be, oh, I'm going to tell you, right? You'd be all over that stuff. Wait Maybe you still are, I don't know. <laughs> but, but Solomon recognized, he was like, look, I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm young, and so I'm realistic enough to realize that that's probably going to influence some of my decisions. That's going to influence how I react to things. That's going to influence, and he knew, I'm when he talks about it, he says, I'm in amongst his people, and they're, they're this number that's so large, they can't even be counted, and now I'm the guy. And I know how much I'm going to stand out. I know how that people are going to look to me and I understand that I'm the face of this nation and he's wise enough already to go and I don't want to mess this up. You honored my dad. You did stuff for my dad and he followed after you but I don't want to mess that up. The second thing that he recognized out of that was he, he says I don't have any practical experience in leading people. Now today, we would refer to what Solomon recognized in that as being self-aware or being introspective. And I can tell you it's a highly desired trait among leaders, people who are aware of themselves and aware of their own limitations. Because one of the toughest things that you can ever have is to be dealing with someone in a leadership role who for instance, believes that everybody that works for them or everybody just, just likes them and loves them and all this, and then you over here going, oh, God help him. Because they over here at HR going, I can't stand that joker. You can't trust him. He don't tell the truth. We can't. But they know their job depends on him. So when they're talking to him, they're like, hey, boss, how you doing? good morning, hope you had a great weekend, you jerk, right, you know, up under their breath. that's the way this stuff goes, and and that's one of the worst things that you can be dealing with is someone as a leader who is not self-aware, because then you got to break the news to them at some point, right, you got, somebody's got to come along and go, hey, I need to help you see that all these people have been talking about slashing your tires, (laughs) right, Don't act like none of y'all ever thought some of that at work, because now I've I've heard some of y'all. Maybe you won't slash anybody's tires, but you know, you was like, somebody need to pray for them people that I work with. (laughs) The way y'all said it, I knew what you were saying. I'm glad you didn't let it all come out, but but we knew what was... And half the people were sitting around going, oh man, I feel that. (laughs) Solomon was wise enough at this point to be self-aware and say, I don't have experience. God, I'm, I, I, I know that I inherited this because I'm in the royal family, but I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have experience to do this, and I could learn, but, but when I learn, I know I'm adding some now. Don't you think I'm not making out like this is actually in the text? I'm just telling you what has to be surrounding his thought process because of how he asks and what he asks. He has to be sitting there thinking, I can learn, but that's going to hurt people over time because I'm going to make a lot of mistakes because I don't have that experience. So the second thing then that he recognizes is he recognizes what the proper solution is. What is it that needs to happen to counter his limitations? Because being self-aware is only the first step. You hang with me. I'm going to circle this all the way back around to you. Because right now you're thinking, oh, this is awesome. This is like somebody, this is like my boss or somebody like that. They need to hear this. Maybe I can get this on a podcast. You know, and share it with, you just hang in there. It's coming back to you. It's going to knock on your door. You can't be looking out the peephole going, no, I ain't going to let this message in. Being self-aware is only the first step in his path to becoming the greatest leader that it turned out Israel has ever known. It was the most powerful time. It was the most blessed time in in Israel's history as far as being under a king. His next step was recognizing what the right thing was that he needed in order to lead in spite of his current limitations. And so he asked for something very specific. Solomon asked for an obedient heart. An obedient heart. Heart. Now, the word that's used here for obedient is Shama. It's actually spelled like S-H-M from our standpoint. But it means to hear, listen to, heed, obey, understand. And here's the sense that it's used in this. It's to understand or comprehend the meaning of something that's understood in terms of hearing. He says, okay, so to understand or comprehend the meaning of something that's understood in terms of hearing. Catch that. Solomon asked for a listening heart of understanding. A listening heart of understanding. I want you to grasp this. Solomon's desire was to be able to listen with his heart. But to be able to understand and comprehend, so well, what is the heart that's in in this passage? It's defined as the locus, which is not locust with a t. That's not like the you know the little grasshopper thing that flies in and eats everything. And it's not the focus. It is an l. It's the locus. If you didn't know that, here's a fun word for today. It's just a point. It's a point of it's a point of concentration. It's the locus, the center. It's the locus of a person's thoughts, which is your mind, their volition, which is your will, emotions and knowledge of right from wrong, which is your conscience, and it's understood then as the heart. All right, let me give you, let me give you that again. That was, so it's the locus, it's that central point, it's that that focus. You put a dot on paper, there it is. Of a person's thoughts, volition, emotions, and knowledge of right from wrong, and it's understood as The heart. So thoughts, volition, and emotions. These represent how you think, how you act, your will, and how you feel about something. He says, God, give me a listening heart. Give me an ability to hear and therefore influence how I think, how I act, and how I feel about something. See, that's That's so important, because if if we can ever get ourselves to where that we can listen, all right, ladies, let's have a a moment here. Guys, you can just be mad at me later. It'll be all right, because you're probably not going to listen to this anyway. That's what all the ladies are going to say, right? That's what we're fixing to talk about, How many of you ladies go? I just wish at times. Now I'm just gonna, just go ahead. I know he's sitting there with you, or maybe he's not. But how many of you have ever said, "I just wish he'd listen to me"? Go ahead, go ahead. Put both hands in the air, wave them around, and say, "Yes, Jesus." <laughs> I just wish he'd listen to me. Now, if we was going to take a moment, I'd say, guys, how many times have you want to say, "I just wish you'd tell me in about five words actually what you want"? But anyway, <laughs> let's. let's Let's move on, because that's not the point of this message. <laughs> that's a whole nother message. That's not today. Oh, honey, don't listen to the podcast. Um. <laughs> it's all about it's all about first that you're gonna listen. And how many of you, you know, you'd be willing to say, look, usually my challenge with listening, you, you're probably going to say this. How many of you say? My challenge with listening is I've already started working on what I'm going to say in response. How many, how many of you say that's, that's a problem for you? I, I'll say it. I'll raise both hands. Me and Stevie was only two. I saw raise our hands. You know, I'll give you all another chance. How many of you are already thinking about what you're going to respond? There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Because we're already, the moment we hear something out of the conversation that we're going, oh, that's not right, or I don't agree with that, we're formulating what we're going to respond. It takes concentration and effort to just listen. listen Yeah, just listen to the whole thing. (laughs) Listen to the whole thing. Chris is like, yes. (laughs) I want to testify to that right there. That's difficult, right? Right? And that's what Solomon is asking God for. He says, hey, give me this obedient, this this ability to listen and to comprehend and all this heart. I listen, I comprehend, I understand right from wrong, and I allow that to change how I think, act, and feel. That's powerful. That is powerful because if we will get a connection between listening and then thinking, acting, feeling, then our spiritual lives will be something so much greater than what they tend to be, right? Because we will hear something. Remember, the Bible talks about, says, you know, that we don't need to just be hearers of the word, but doers. So we may be hearers, but not get the heart part. We get the obedient as far as they listen, all that, but we're not getting the heart part right. Solomon asked for both of those together. He wasn't asking God to just let him hear things emotionally alone. And he wasn't ruling out the emotion because that's what the heart contained in this. It contained the emo- how you feel about something. Instead, he was asking God to let him hear with understanding and shape how he thought, acted, and felt. And what that was going to do was it was going to give him the ability to lead, to judge, to rule his people correctly. Now, if we read on past this, we would see that it almost immediately after God says, yes, I'm going to do that for you, and then because you didn't ask for money and all this other stuff, I'm going to bless you with that too. We almost immediately see that God allows that to be tested in him and for then Solomon to recognize that what God had done in him, but also the people around him recognize it. Because here's what happens. Later on in this chapter, two prostitutes come and they come before the king. And what they what they had an issue with was that both had a, at approximately the same time had a male child. And they're living in the same place. And they both have these male children, young young babies. And so they wake up the next morning and one of the male children is dead, has passed. Well, as they are before the king, one says, she's the the accuser in this whole thing. She says, here's what's happened. This lady, this other lady, this lady right here, right? This lady right here. She took, and I think that her baby is the one that died in the night because she rolled over on him. That's what she says in the scripture. She rolled over on him. And she woke up first. And when she saw that her child was there, she came over, took my child, put her child who had passed there with me, and then took my child. And when I woke up, I go, oh, my goodness, my, my son has passed in the night. And she's like, hey, I'm sorry. Right? And she says, you need to judge because that's really my child right there. God immediately utilizes this thing that Solomon has asked for, for God to give him an obedient heart, the ability to listen, to discern right from wrong, and to allow it to impact how he thinks, how he acts, and how he feels. Imagine this. You've got these two people in front of you, and you have no clue. There's no DNA testing back now. You know, there's not, that's not going on. You've got to try to figure out because you're the king. You are the ultimate authority. You have to make a decision in this case. And if you didn't know this story, and because and, some of you that know this story, you know, but if you're just sitting here and now you've got to decide. Here's two ladies. You can't say, well, I don't know what we're going to do with this or let's flip a coin. You don't have that option. You've got to make a decision. And you need to make the right decision. You don't really have a way to do that. Solomon looks young guy. because This is right after he's been made king, right after he's made this sacrifice, right after he's asked God to give him this obedient heart. They come before him. And here's what Solomon does. He looks at the people around him and says, bring me a sword. So they bring him a sword. And he says, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this child that's alive, and what I want you to do since we can't determine what the right answer is here, we're going to take and I want you to just slice him in half. <laughs> just, just hang with me now. You're going, my word, what kind of king is this guy? says, we're just going to slice him in half and you can give half to this mother and half to that mother. The real mother of the child says, don't do that. Just let her have him. Just let her have him. The one that's not the mother says, yeah, go ahead. Just cut him in half and we'll take... And Solomon says, there's the real mother. Give him to her. Wow. Just young guy, wisdom. Able to listen and not be overcome by the emotion of the moment. Able to listen and not get distracted. And, and, but able to have this heart that could hear, discern right from wrong... Could change how he thought, how he, how he acted, how he felt. And the Bible says, later in, it says that the people around were like, wow, look at the wisdom of this guy. He went from being, yeah, he's the king's son, he's a young guy, he got put in place, you know, we think he's all right, and all this fun stuff, to, wow, look at the wisdom of this young man. It wasn't because that he had gained all this experience all of a sudden, It wasn't because, you know, somehow he had just, you know, magically gotten 10 years of I've been doing this. No, it is because God moved and put wisdom into him, regardless of his experience, regardless of his age, regardless of any of those things, because he was self aware enough and recognized enough to say, God, this is what I need because I truly care about serving your people. And God says, Oh, I like that. God, who had a servant-leader heart, sees a young man who says, no, I'm not after things. I want you to let me, let me be a good leader, God. Help me because I'm young and I don't have experience. So help me. God says, I'll do that. So how do we apply this? What does all this have to do with our lives today? How can we apply this personally? You might not see yourself as such, but every one of us sitting in this room today is a leader in some fashion. A lot of people don't, they don't recognize that. They go, well, I'm not in a leadership role in my job or, you know, I'm not in a leadership role in church or in any other organization I'm a part of, but yet you are still a leader. I don't care if it's you're a leader when you're standing out somewhere in public and kids that you don't know see you and see how you're acting. In the world of Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, vines went away, which we're all sad about in my house because we still watch all the animal vines and stuff. But in the age of when all this stuff can happen so quickly I can guarantee you people can very rapidly demonstrate that you are either a good leader or a poor leader. Because there are people that did a video you off in public. You didn't even know people were. Because you start acting a fool somewhere. And somebody will video it and you'll show up on social media. Michelle and I yesterday morning we got up because we're a we're leaving after church today. We're going camping for about three days, and and we're taking Molly with us too. By the way, the Basset Hound. She has a tent, and they were attempting to get her in the tent last night. This has nothing to do with the message. They're, they were attempting to get her in the tent last night. She's not having any of that. I was pretty impressed though, because you know if you could get her in the tent, it would be a pup tent. I'm sorry. I'm, well, not really, but. <laughs> so Michelle and I got up yesterday morning, and, and uh, I said, hey, I got something I need to pick up over in Moody. Let's go. You know, so we've been busy a lot of Saturdays and stuff. So we just took off, and we uh, we went to Moody and met some folks there and picked something up. We, we drove over into Birmingham. She was like, oh, I want to go to to a store in Gadsden. So we drive to Gadsden. They didn't have one, so we drove back to Birmingham, you know, from Gadsden. And, you know, and we were just hanging out, enjoying. I was just enjoying hanging out with my wife, right? Okay, you know, some gas money, but I mean, we're hanging out, we're, getting, we're talking, we're talking about church stuff, we talk about the kids some, you know, we talk about them. And, uh, and we talk about, you know, you know the camping, and we talk about the dog, and, and, uh, and I actually put some vine stuff on, you know, it's run into the system in the truck, and so I put some vine stuff, let there watching, you know, the animals, and, you know, we were just laughing, you know, because I can hear them and they're funny you know, I'm sorry, you know, if you get a little chihuahua come running through, and he's got goggles on, and, and the boots on, and all that stuff, and he's high-stepping, I mean, I'll just laugh, it's funny. <laughs> stuff will show up, so we, we eat at this restaurant over in Birmingham, and, um, and the, the Firebirds, and the, the, uh, the waitress comes by, and her name was, her name was Rachel, and, uh, so she's talking to us, and, and man, I mean, we were enjoying, you know, nice, nice food. I mean, nothing, nothing crazy, fancy, or, um, you know, and, and we're we're casually dressed, and so um, she comes back uh, when she brought the food, and and uh, she was like, "Is everything okay? Is everything all right?" And and I'm like, "Man, it's great, it's fantastic. These, we had some wings for some appetizers. I'm talking most meaty wings I've ever seen anywhere." I was like, man, this is great. This is fantastic. You know, thanks. You're doing a great job. And she was like, really? Because, like, I'm new, and everybody else apparently is having a really bad day with me today. And y'all are so nice. <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, you're doing a great job. I mean, this is fantastic. And I guarantee you three more times while we were there, she was like, I just thank y'all so much for being so nice. She said, I just had a hard day. And, and, and I was thinking to myself, I mean, we were having, She was doing good service. I mean, it wasn't. But I felt. I guarantee you, it stuck in her mind. Some of those customers that had come through, and I hope that that. Well, I don't want to say that I hope that none of those folks were Christians, because I'd be nice if everybody was. But, but it'd be terrible if if you had like a church shirt on or something, you know, got your Unity Point shirt on, and you up in there, that service is terrible, you stink, and I, I, I want to talk to the manager. You know, please cover your shirt up if you're going to do that. <laughs> you know, just cover it up, you know, take the hat off or something, you know. Like, I don't really know who these people are. <laughs> <laughs> We're leaders. Even if it's in a moment, it's not even necessarily that you've got some group that reports to you or whatever, but if you're in a, if you're in a family... You you flat out, you're a leader. (coughs) I don't care if you're the uncle, I don't care if you're the aunt, I don't care if you're the the dad, the mom, the brother, the sister, the child, whatever it is, you are a leader and you have an ability to impact those people. You may be a leader in your job, you may be a leader in your home, in your friend group, in in our church, in your general community. You may be a leader on your block. And each of us have some varying levels of experience, right? And let's be, let's, let's be honest. Each of us has some varying levels of reflexive reaction to situations, to people, to ideas and concepts. That's why it bothers me when I hear people say, well, I just can't stand people that are this. You know, they, they fall within some group or something because I'm like, dude, man, give everybody a chance. Sometimes people are a part of something and they don't even know why they're a part of something. And it just becomes a reflexive reaction. It affects our politics in our country. It affects people when it comes to denominational affiliation. Oh my goodness, I just can't stand people that are this. Or now look, if there's some people, they just flat out, they just, they just believe and teach stuff, it's just absolutely not true, then I'm all about that, hey, I don't agree with them or whatever else, but I'm going to love some people and try to share the truth with them. In all of those situations, that you personally are in, have you asked God to give you a listening heart that will comprehend right from wrong, that will shape how you think, act, and feel about all those areas in our lives? Let's be honest, there's probably things that you could think back over the last year, maybe in the last week, that you went... Man, I feel I led poorly in this situation. Maybe it was just in public, maybe it was with somebody in your family, maybe it was some, one of your friends, maybe it was on your job that you go, Man, I led poorly in that. Well, join the crowd, right? Yeah. That's where all of us find ourselves sometimes. And Solomon saw and recognized that potential. But we need to do what Solomon did. We need to go back and we need to say, God, I need you in every area where I will be leading in my life. Help me to have a listening heart. The Bible talks about this at one point. It says that we need to be quick to listen and, and, and slow to speak and slow to anger. Why? Because it's a challenge for us. Solomon just recognized it early. But have you asked God to give you a listening heart? that will comprehend right from wrong, that will shape how you act. If you're a parent, do you have that kind of leader's heart? I don't care if you've got adult kids or if you've got toddlers. If you're a parent, do you have that kind of heart? And have you asked God for it? If you haven't, today's your opportunity. On your job, do you have that kind of heart? Do you have an obedient heart that listens to understand, and then it allows that to shape how you think, how you act, and how you feel. When you watch the news, do you have that kind of heart? When you read the newspaper, when you see something that happens, you just go, Well, that's just like those people. That's just like that, that political party. That's just like that there. Or do we have? That's just like somebody that's not like me. That's just like those young people. That's just like those old people. Well, you know, it goes a bunch of ways, right? That's just like women. That's just like men. Or do you ask God to help you have the kind of heart that Solomon did? Our world is desperate. It's desperate for spiritual people of God to demonstrate this kind of heart. A heart that listens with discernment, not just emotion, and not just with preconceived ideas born out of inexperience here's one of the most challenging things I think that we as a people of faith are going to face we need at some point to be reaching people that are not like us maybe they're older than you, maybe they've had children and you haven't had children maybe they haven't had children and and you have, maybe they're from a different ethnicity, maybe they're from a different socioeconomic stratum maybe they're from something that just makes them different than you then we're going to have to have a godly heart that can listen and that can discern right from wrong and that can then speak the truth with love that can that can reach into a situation and can say I'm going to give you the truth but I'm going to show you that I love you in the process. Solomon didn't look at this situation and go just hack the kid in half. I don't I mean I don't think that was his attitude. He was funneling truth but he was looking for it to cause a change in someone i don't think he was being belligerent i don't think he was being ugly i don't think but i think he was firm our world is desperate for spiritual people who will be firm in what they believe and firm in in understanding what what god wants out of them but yet can demonstrate a listening heart Just like we could sit here and, and all, so many of you ladies, you know, you were wanting to raise both hands and a leg or something and go, yes, I just wish sometimes people would listen. You know what? Our world is in that same spot where our world is saying, it is great that you want to tell me what you want me to hear, but I just wish that for a moment you would listen to me. Even if you don't agree, even if you don't think that it's valid, just show me enough respect to listen and then I will listen to you. A listening heart. This is something that God can obviously give us at any age and any level of experience with something in life. So what kind of heart do you have today? So you're going to go home, and you've got a holiday that's somewhere in this week. You may have, some of you may have an extended period of time off, or you may just have one day off or whatever. You're going to be around your kids. You're going to be around family. You're going to be around friends. What kind of heart are you going to have? It's great that you're saved. It's great that you know Jesus. Fantastic. Well, what kind of heart do you have? Do you have a heart that's going to listen and seek to understand and that then is going to change how you think, how you act, and how you feel? And it's going to demonstrate that love and wisdom and grace and all of those things. You're going to have an opportunity here sometime this week. You're going to have an opportunity if you go eat somewhere at lunch today. How are you going to lead? What kind of heart are you going to have? If the waitress spills stuff all over you, what kind of heart are you going to have? She may be having a terrible day. There may have been stuff happening at home. There may be things that are going on that she's barely holding it together to be in that place today. How are you going to act? What kind of heart are you going to have? You're going to go to work and you're going to deal with a situation maybe this week and somebody's going to snap somebody's going to be ugly and they're going to this, that, and the other. Now, I'm not saying you don't need to say, hey, that's not right. You don't need to act that way or anything like that. That's all I'm saying. But how are you going to act? What kind of heart are you going to have? Maybe that person's dealing with family problems. Maybe they just found out that there's an illness that they don't know how they're going to pay for. Maybe, Maybe there's something going on with their spouse or their children and they are devastated. What kind of heart are you going to have? I know the example that Jesus gave us. The example that Jesus gave us was that He's standing there and He's being beaten. He's being whipped. They're mocking Him. They're spitting on Him. They're doing all this kind of stuff. And what does Jesus do? Even as He hangs on the cross, He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. We're going to have to decide what kind of heart are we going to have? Let's pray. Father, I pray that today